0: We all know this that we live in a society that is sexually driven. Just look on TV, just look at uh, Super Bowl ads. you know it comes to the point where you have to have a clicker to turn them off for a football game or just go in the line at the grocery store and you see all the magazines on there. We live in a sexually driven society.
1: Thanks for joining us for this Monday edition of Equipping the Saints, featuring the Bible teaching of Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And Greg, today we take a detour from our Colossians series to look at a passage in Matthew. Can you tell us what we'll see?
0: Yes, Dave, as we've come to Colossians chapter 3, where we're commanded to kill off sexual sin, I thought it would be helpful for us to look at a passage concerning what Jesus has to say about that. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 27 to 30. And just for a warning, please, if you have little ones nearby, please pull them away for this message because it has content that may not be appropriate for little ears.
1: Well, thanks, Greg. Now, if you want to listen to today's broadcast again, just download our new free app from the Apple App Store. You'll find today's broadcast, archived broadcasts, as well as more about this ministry and our teacher, Pastor Greg Lundstedt. Now, let's join Greg for today's message.
0: Well, I've already warned about things that could be said. That you know, if you're really paying close attention, you know, probably not appropriate. But again, if it's just a side, you know, noise and they're playing that trying, but it's not appropriate for kids. But you all know this. We all know this. That we live in a society that is sexually driven. Just look on TV. Just look at uh, Super Bowl ads. You know, It comes to the point where you have to have a clicker to turn them off for a football game. Or just go in the line at the grocery store and you see all the magazines on there. We live in a sexually driven society. And uh, it's no wonder those who don't know Christ are living and walking in that just as we did before we got saved. Our society is driven by outward wickedness and now these days through a lot of social media. A lot of social media, the perversion on social media that comes up right away on YouTube, little suggestions, things. It's bad. Whether it's, you know, TikTok, whatever it might be, those terrible apps that have terrible things, it's all around us. Now, we as believers, we know that those things aren't right. We know that that's not where our heart should be. And we don't desire to be there, but yet we still stumble and fall at times. We still sin. And so how can we walk in the context of sexual purity? That's what we're going to see today. And as we're going through Colossians, I felt it would be good to divert today to Matthew chapter 5. And so let's turn there to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 27 to 30, and this will be helpful for us to get a baseline for what we will see in Colossians chapter 3. Indeed, in Colossians chapter 2, we've seen that the Colossians didn't want to indulge in fleshly indulgence, and the false teachers are coming along with a way to help them with that. But it wasn't any help at all. And as we're going to see today, it's only through the person of Jesus Christ changing a heart that we are enabled to not sin. And when we do sin, God's a gracious God who forgives us. And so let's take a look, turn with your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, looking at verses 27 to 30. Now at this point, we know King Jesus has come upon the scene. God has taken on human flesh. He has come to his own, and they were sitting in darkness. They've seen a great light. And at this point in Matthew, he's beginning to share his teaching. He's going to teach about the kingdom and that uh, kingdom righteousness. And he's going to share it in a way where he exposes kingdom righteousness, which exposes phony righteousness, which is really lawlessness. He's going to expose the Jews who believed that they were saved in what they were doing as they followed God's word, but their hearts hadn't been changed. And so he begins with a picture of those who are truly saved, the Beatitudes, blessed are, And he shares the characteristics of those who are actually in his kingdom. And then from there, we see that those who are in his kingdom, how they are to relate to the world. That true believers are salt and light in a sin-sick and dark world. You see, when someone comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when someone's truly saved, delivered from darkness to light delivered to the kingdom of his beloved son, we are now the flavor of his righteousness in a corrupt world. And so as we trust and obey God, his righteousness will be manifest. We are the salt of the world, and we are also the light of the world. You can't miss it. You can't not see it unless you cover it up. We are the light of the world. And then it's from describing those who are truly in the kingdom, the blessed, and their relationship to the world. At this point, Jesus moves to describing the very foundation of kingdom living, which is himself and his word. In relationship to his word, Jesus came to fulfill the word. And King Jesus revealed to his disciples commands that his word would be fulfilled in us. And indeed, your kingdom status depends upon obedience to his word fulfilled in you. And then he says, verse 20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to be pretty righteous to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the scribes and Pharisees at that time, as we will see, they were pretty darn righteous on the outside. But Jesus says it's got to be more than that. And so from there, he begins to share six corrections to Jewish misconceptions. You've heard it said, and he'll share the Bible verse in a sense, how it's brought forth, and then add in the interpretation of the Pharisees. But I say to you, and it's in this portion we come to the second one of those, you have heard it said, but I say to you. We'll get to Matthew 5.27 in a minute. We'll read that, but in verses 21 to 48, we have... The phrase, uh, you have heard literally five times and then implied, and then six times, but I say to you, six specific areas. And again, we're going to look at the second one today, but let me just show you the first one, and we'll just briefly look at that for a second, then we'll go to the one we're going to look at today, because I believe we're going to see that everybody has struggled with anger, and everybody struggled with lust, and everybody is thus guilty, whether you've committed the actual act of murdering somebody or adultery. Everyone is guilty. They go together. He says in verse 21, You've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Now, I'm not going to teach through this one here on anger, but I just want to talk through it briefly as context to move into our passage. And again, he says here, basically, and I'm going to summarize what he's saying. He's saying, you've heard through your teachers, basically, based on the ancient teachers, that you should not murder, and if you do, you're guilty before the court. Basically what he's saying. But Jesus is saying, that's not the complete story. That's what you've been taught. That's what you have heard. Now, we might remember from Colossians, the bad guys were using the Old Testament. They were saying you should do this and this and this. They may use verses from the Old Testament, right? To help you with your battle in the flesh. Now, these guys were saying, hey, here's what God says. And then they were adding in their traditions. And they weren't sharing the heart of what truly God intended with those truths. But he says, but I say to you, the Lord Jesus, the God who gives the sixth commandment to you, he says, but I say to you, verse 22, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. You say, oh my, everyone? Yes, everyone who is angry with his brother is subject to judgment, is guilty, is guilty. Jesus goes beyond the action of the external commandment, which they've all been taught about, don't stab somebody, don't uh, cut somebody up, don't murder them, right, to the heart of the issue, the heart motive that brings about the action, the heart motive behind the breaking of the command, which is anger. And remember, Scripture reveals that anger is sin, that apart from the momentary anger that comes in the context of maybe something righteous, we can't handle it more than a day. We're not to allow the sun to go down on our anger. We're to be angry but not sin. Those Ephesians 4.26, later on, we're to put aside all anger. We're not to have any anger in that context. We're to put aside malice. And we're to forgive one another because God and Christ has forgiven us. And then the Lord Jesus, with this first portion, gave two illustrations to make clear the Jews, by being angry, were guilty enough to go to hell. Okay, just from anger. Anger is enough. Anger is the root under murder. Okay? So everyone is guilty of murder on a heart level when you're angry at your brother. So everyone who's been angry in that context thus is guilty. Everyone's guilty. And this truth alone should have pierced through the self-righteous externalists who would say, I'm righteous because I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't murdered anybody. I've kept the commandments, you know, but yet they have been angry. Even so much as a thought in the heart from where your actions come renders you guilty before God and subject to judgment. So in continuing now that sin is a matter of the heart that must be drastically dealt with, he now goes on from anger to sexual lust. And think about that. Anger and sexual lust, those are the most powerful areas of sin. They really are. Anger and sexual, most part, were mankind. And so he moves to expansion to the intent of the commandment, which is to not commit adultery in the next portion here. So how can we walk in sexual purity? First of all, we need to realize that adultery, and we'll talk about sexual impurity in a minute, is a matter, first and foremost, of the heart. Let's look at our passage, verse 27. You have heard it said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone looks on a woman to lust for her, has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you to have one of the parts of your body perish than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, for some reason, you have to leave this message at this point. Make sure you come back to it before you pull your eye out and cut off your hand. All right? Because we're going to see in the context of God's word what is intended by this passage. Okay? We're going to see that. So don't run out and do anything crazy. Okay? So notice what they had heard. This is what the Jews had heard. You have heard it said you should not commit adultery. But then he says, but I say To you. That's the formula of the six areas that he's talking about in there. This is what you've been taught. You've been taught the seventh commandment, right? Pretty clear statement on adultery here. Now, the term adultery, what this means is sexual contact between a man and a woman, one who is married or both are married, but obviously not to each other. Okay? That's what it's talking about. Certainly these Jews, like with murder, would have probably been taught the scriptural consequences to adultery under the law that they had at that time. Leviticus 20, verse 10, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and adulterer shall surely be put to death. That's what God's view of that sin was, okay? Deuteronomy 22, 22, if a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die. The man who lie with the woman and the woman, you shall purge the evil from Israel. And it goes on and talks about it. The reality is, God said, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus says, you've heard it said. Now what these Jews were doing, were they were just saying, hey, I haven't done that. I'm pretty clean before God. I'm looking good. I haven't murdered anybody. And I haven't gone with anybody's wife. Whatever. I'm clean. I'm good. Well, Lord Jesus is going to say, hey, And it's interesting, he would say this here, he doesn't say hey, but he says, you've heard it said, and then he quotes scripture. Why would he say that? Why wouldn't he say, it is written? Why wouldn't he say, it is written, you shall not commit adultery? Why would he say, you have heard it said? Because he's putting the point that the scripture that they have heard, which is the truth, has been interpreted wrongly. You see, a lot of people buy into wrong understandings because there is a piece of Scripture that is true, but pulled out of its context. And so he's discrediting the whole thing, but not the truth, as we'll see. He's going to reveal what's underlying that. You have heard it said, but he says, but I say to you. And now this is emphatic. So he says, But I say to you, and in Greek it is emphatic. It's emphatic. You can say it this way. This is actually the actual Greek, by the way. It's kind of funny. Ego delego. (laughs) But I say to you, okay? And it's emphatic. You could say delego, which means I say to you, but he's saying I, I say to you. And think about who this is. This is the great I am. This is the I am, this is the self-existent one. You've heard it said, but I, Jesus standing there in their midst, say to you, the one who in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The I am says to you, you've heard it this way, but I say to you. You see, they didn't have the complete story. They didn't have the right interpretation or understanding. And let's not forget, the God says, but I, the one who gave you the seventh commandment, I say to you, let's not forget the Pharisees and the Sadducees were externalists. They were pros. They were professionals at keeping the external, visible portions of the law and all the little laws that they added onto it. They were pros at it but yet their hearts were wicked. They were clean on the outside, but the inside was full of dead men's bones, like a tomb, whitewashed tomb. And so they could brag, I've never done that. I've kept the seventh commandment. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, but I say to you, and what does he say? But I say to you that everyone who looks upon a woman to lust for her, has committed adultery with her already in his heart. That's what I say to you. You've heard the commandment, you should not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who has looked upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her in his heart. Now the term looks here, translate look upon, Speaks of beholding, and it's in a tense that speaks of a continual habitual action. It's not a glance, it's not seeing something, it is a continual habitual action. The action of gazing upon something, upon here, upon a woman. And the action here is continually, habitually done to lust for her. That's what's being said. Looking upon a woman to lust for her, that's what it's talking about. And that speaks in a context sexually, that's what it speaks about. The term lust, epithemeo, speaks of a strong desire or impulse, a longing towards something. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now, folks, we don't need to be Greek scholars to figure out what Jesus is saying here. We've all desired things. We've all had strong desires. We all know these impulses. And he's saying everyone who looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And again, he's not speaking of glancing or looking at a woman's, her direction, whatever it might be. He's talking about so we'll see the heart underneath in that context. Everyone who looks on a woman for the purpose to desire after her has already committed adultery in his heart. That's what he's saying. It's already happened. And thus, as we'll see, you are guilty of adultery, punishable by death under the law. Your sin of your heart has manifest in your gaze, has rendered you guilty. Everyone who looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Just like anger. Who of us can say we've never committed anger? Who of us can say we haven't lusted in our hearts somehow, sometime in our lives? The self-righteous Pharisees could say I've never broken the command. But the reality is Jesus is saying, first and foremost, as we'll see, it's a heart issue. Look at Matthew 15, up a little farther. You know, the Pharisees were all cut up in the hand-washing and everything so they wouldn't get defiled and all that stuff, you know. And Jesus is saying, that's not what defiles you. What defiles you is not from the outside. Matthew 15, verse 17. Do you not understand that everything goes into the mouth, passes the stomach, and it's delimited? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. And notice this. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, he says here, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, and false witness slanders. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands do not defile a man. He says here, it's what comes from the heart. It's what comes from the heart. So notice what he says. Everyone who's looked upon and woman to lust a third has committed adultery with that woman in her heart. Now, let me be clear here. The passage is speaking about men lusting for women. That's what it's talking about very specifically here. But certainly women can and do have desires also, and they are part of that equation when actual adultery is committed, by the way. You see, it takes two adulterers to sinfully tango, okay? It takes two. And Proverbs is full of warnings concerning adultery, and God's wisdom actually delivers us from that. Proverbs 2.16, to deliver you from the strange one, from the adulteress who flatters with their words. Leaves the companion of her youth, she's becoming adultery, forgets a covenant with God, and that's the actual act now, okay? Proverbs 5, 1, my son, give attention to my wisdom, that's the word of God, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion, your lips and reserve knowledge, for the lips of adulteress drip honey, smoother than oil is her speech, but in the end she's bitter than wormwood, sharp as a twigged sword, her feet go down to death. Talks about her steps to lay hold of Sheol, she doesn't ponder the path of her life. Her ways are unstable. She doesn't know it. We know that the adulteress punts for precious life. We know he who is cursed of the Lord will fall into the deep pit. The mouth of the adulteress is a deep pit. Proverbs 22, 14, he who is cursed of the Lord will fall into it. That's speaking of the actual act there. But certainly it says men lusting after women. Certainly that's what our passage says. But there are other ways that women lust, they desire for romance with someone's not their spouse. Soap operas, evening TV tantalize the flame, these hidden, unacted upon passions. And let me propose something else too here today. Think women about how you dress around men, especially in the body of Christ. Could it be a platform for temptation? Dare we not stumble? Certainly, it is the man's responsibility. And if someone isn't dressed appropriately, maybe because they never understood or never were taught or whatever it might be, uh, the man needs to look away and be gracious and kind. But be aware that that can bring about things. Just simply gazing at images can bring that about for men. Lust can be awakened by simply a woman who's dressed immorally. Now, the man has to act on it. I'm giving that. It's not the woman's fault. But be aware. You don't want to stumble anybody. It's just like in other sins. For all of us, we don't want to do something that might cause them to stall. They're the one that sinned, but we might aid to that somehow in what we do. So be aware of that. Now, should all women walk around in burqas then? So that no one's tempted? Should we avoid the beach or the pool? Never go to the beach because there's people with bathing suits on? Should we avoid that? No, that's just a rule you would make up, okay? We saw in Colossians, we need Jesus to deliver our hearts so that we don't become the ones that are lusting in our hearts. We need him to deliver us in every circumstance. You're not going to be pulled out of the world till the Lord Jesus comes. And so, therefore, it's a matter of the heart and how we deal with those temptations, as we'll see. Now, thinking here back in our passage He says, you have heard it said, you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. What a second, my heart is just a big thing of pumping blood around. What's he talking about? What's he talking about when we speak of the heart? Well, in the Old Testament, the term Lev spoke of the heart, and in the New Testament, cardia kind of makes sense. In Greek, it speaks of the heart. But as we look at Scripture, it speaks of the inner man, the inner self. It is the source of all the functions of soul and spirit, emotional, volitional, rational life. Indeed, we see the term heart used throughout Scripture synonymously with mind and will. Take, for instance, how God uses these two terms in a parallel sense in Psalm 7, verses 9 to 10. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. For the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. Let's see that together. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart.
1: If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's ETSradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of equipping the saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you, thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800. 800- Five nine six nine one four four. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. And Greg, today we have begun to see what God says about adultery.
0: Yes, we have, Dave, and as we've begun to see, it all begins in the heart. Well, we're out of time for today, so make plans to join us for our next edition of Equipping the Saints. Where we're continuing to learn how to deal with sexual sin. As we close
1: today's broadcast, here's an important message from our teacher, Greg Lundstedt.
0: Hi, this is Greg Lundstedt, and it is my great privilege to study and teach the Word of God and to share it with you each day on this radio station. And as you listen, I want to ask you this question Has equipping the saints been a blessing to you? If so, would you prayerfully consider coming alongside us financially? You see, your financial partnership with us is so appreciated. So on behalf of the team here at Equipping the Saints, we want to praise our Lord and thank you for your prayers and financial support.
1: Well, thanks, Greg. Now to partner with us, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. Or if you prefer to send a gift online, our web address is etsradio.org. Well, we hope you make plans to join us again right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints.